This is Radical Love Life, an ongoing series of podcasts and special events where we explore faith outside the boxes. Hosted by Mark Dilcom and Kelly Wilson. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Mark. How are you? I'm freaking awesome. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you. So here we are for another episode of Radical Love Live. That's right. We're radical. We're we're loving and we're live. And we're live. And you know, um, so I was doing a little work on our website. And folks, if you want to see our updated website, please go check it out. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's kind of rocking. We simplified a few things. You're gonna see all of our episodes right there. It's nice and easy to navigate. So I was looking at how many episodes we have done, and uh, we are close to breaking fifty episodes. Oh, our wow. two seasons. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you know, I actually just saw yesterday they did our um, Spotify wrapped um, for the podcast. Yeah. And that we have, I think, like 300% more listeners this year than last year. Nice. You know, thousands of streams. And uh, oh my God. Yeah, wow. So this, thing, <laughs> this, thing, yeah. this, thing, this, this thing is actually like happening. Yeah. I will tell you, uh, over. You know, what is two seasons over four years, you know, because we started this uh, oh at the very beginning of the pandemic and, you know, this, this thing's kind of allowed us to, you know, well, not allowed. It just, we just put it on pause and then we picked it back up here in the, uh, in the uh, spring of uh, 2023. But it has been an awesome ride with you, my friend, truly. Absolutely. I agree. This has been a riot and, and still continues to be. Oh, I look forward to many more episodes. And you know, and one of the things also is we meet uh, um, incredible friends along the way, um, and we have one that's going to be joining us uh, on this uh, on this particular episode. So, and who's that, Kelly? Uh, today we are talking with our friend Barry Taylor, and um, Barry is um, has a, a, quite a, a resume. Um, he's a philosopher and thinker and mm. professor, and uh, yeah, and I. I was looking at uh, the bio from uh, a recent book of his uh, entitled Sex, God, and Rock and Roll, uh, Catastrophes, Epiphanies, and Sacred Anarchies. Um, and he's described as he began adulthood on the road with a world-famous rock band, and there he found religion. He then became a theologian, priest, teacher, and a theist, non-theist, post-theist. Okay, I'm gonna process that. Hold on. Um, a theist, non-theist, post-theist. We'll have to ask Barry about yeah, that. We'll have in a to moment. talk with Barry. We'll have to talk to him about that. Um, but we are grateful to have Barry's friendship. Uh, Mark and I have both uh, studied with Barry. Um, we've been friends yeah. for for some years, yeah. and uh, um, you know, and this bio doesn't even uh, include uh, Barry's musicianship or his uh, his artwork, which you can regularly see pop up on Instagram, which is always, uh, always fascinating. Um, but anyway, very welcome, uh, from, uh, from London. It's great. Uh, thank you for sharing your, your evening with us. Wow, it's good to see you both. And there's no point in asking me about those uh, comments from the back of that book, because I have no idea what any of that means. <laughs> wow. Okay. Case in point. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So Kelly, scratch those questions. <laughs> I'm kidding. Barry, my dear friend, it is truly good to see you. Uh, as um, as Kelly said, you know, I got to know you through your uh, work at the Hatchery with uh, Maria Francesca French and just your awesomeness. And here, to, you know, 
come back and see spend some time with us uh, uh, for this episode. You know, just it's it's good to see you, my friend. Well, and Hatchery is now um, H and Co. Is that? Um, yeah, kind of. I mean, it went through that. Yeah, the, yes, essentially, we 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 made we made some things. You know, just changes, internal changes, and uh, we wish we actually don't do that much with it now, except we do a a live. We do a live Instagram on Mondays where we may or may not be talking about something sensible. And, <laughs> I, I, I like it. I mean, well, I say it, sometimes the conversation is focused and sometimes it's not focused. And sometimes the focused conversations aren't as good as the unfocused ones. I am a firm believer of that, my friend. We see that in uh, doing these podcasts. Like sometimes you just let it rip and uh, you can have some great experiences and go places that you wouldn't otherwise want it scripted. So, exactly. yeah, I um, I totally get that, Barry. You know, uh, in just in your journeys and the, it's the iterations of your life, uh, your experiences, everything else, that wisdom that you built up too is is extraordinary. And, and just and watching you, how you have just navigated all of that. And now you find yourself in London and the project. So for our listeners, why don't you tell us what you are up to, at least career-wise and those elements, uh, bring us all up to speed on that. Wow, that's, that's a lot. Well, um, about, about six years ago, after um, more than 30 years in uh, Los Angeles, I moved back to the UK, to London. And um, it was kind of... Um, it wasn't impetuous because I'd been talking about moving back for about a decade, but everybody thought I was just kidding. <laughs> but um, I wasn't. But I just had I I just had to sort of work, <laughs> work, work stuff out. And um, I, I I moved back for for two reasons. One one was a sort of family issue. Um, my mother's not well, and my brother was carrying a lot of the weight of that and I would just swan in from California and tell him what we should be doing and then you know fly back out and I, I wanted to be more sort of supportive both to him and to what you know my mother was going through and but the, but the larger reason was I just felt like I'd sort of come to the end of a whole bunch of things in life and I was just ready for um trying different things so um i figured if i didn't move and oh i and i got in a car accident so not a bad one but i wrote off my car and i thought well if if i don't go now i'm gonna get another car payment and then i'll be tied down for another four or five years so i think now's the time to make move so, so that that was the catalyst for um uh, moving because i sort of freed myself up from most of my obligations you know that i felt were were gonna hold me there and um I moved back to London and, uh, and that was about a year and a half before COVID. So whatever plans I had got a little, uh, stifled, uh, although I actually, I didn't, I, I, I really didn't have a plan. Um, uh, the truth of the matter is I'm, I'm not really much of a plan person. Um, I, I just kind of try and follow whatever threads or ropes show up to swing on. And, um, I want, I just wanted to, um, explore some different, some different questions about life. And, and I wanted to be sort of more, um, 
involved in things in in Europe, um, I, I I kind of tentatively, I I mean I didn't come in backwards and forwards, but um, one of the things that I did fairly quickly when I came back was when I actually started a thing with a friend of mine in Sweden called the European Radical Theology Network, which was to kind of um, get uh, people together who were swimming or drowning in those kind of post-religion, post-God, post-church spaces, um, trying to do, trying to work out what any of that meant, if, if anything at all, um, for them now and, uh, just connecting people together. So, but of course that we, and we start that we, we did our first meeting in November of, I, I guess it was 2020 and 20, you know, February of 2021, we kind of shut the door on, on, on Europe for a while, um, with COVID. <laughs> and, and so, um, but, um, I don't know. So I, I've been in London and, uh, uh I've been doing feels like a lot and then nothing, <laughs> but, but no, I guess that I, is radical. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I've, um, I've been doing some, uh, I've been doing, uh, teaching for, uh, an organization called GCAS, which is the global center for advanced studies. It's, it's essentially an online, uh, accredited graduate school. And, uh, I, I, head up the theology department and we have like a, an MA in radical theology, which I think is the only one out there. And, mm -hmm. uh, and it, and it explores the, the intersections of theology, philosophy, and psychoanalysis. So oh, wow. I've been doing teaching, some teaching for them. And, uh, I, I've been continuing the work that I've been doing with my friend, Peter Rollins, you know, holds um, a couple of events every year in, in Belfast that I've always been a part of. And, uh, we did work together in Los Angeles as well. And now, and we're both back this side of the pond the moment. So, um, actually I think I, I, I seem to spend more time doing stuff in, uh, Ireland than I do, I do in England. I, I might have missed by about 500 miles. I'm not sure. I'm trying, I'm trying to work out. <laughs> Well, or maybe, maybe I just like flying. I don't know. But anyway, um, so I'm doing that. I, I know I've, I've been writing for, um, an art magazine and, um, I don't know, just sort of chasing up curiosities. That's I love about, that. That's about you've, it. You've used two phrases just now, that one. Um, and then also just grabbing for the, uh, threads and the ropes. Yeah. Uh, you used that a couple of minutes ago in that, in that, and that swing from, yeah, where to swing from. And I, I love that. There's a, it's a beautiful freedom about that all, right. Just being in the moment. And when you see something that, uh, tugs at your brain or your heart as the case may be, uh, you, you take it. So, yeah, yeah. well, I, um, what I, I, I sort of made a, a decision kind of early on in life that I, that I wanted to, um, explore the things that I was interested in and, um, sort of because of that opted for a kind of, um, 
a little bit of a feast or famine existence. I've done lots of things, but quite often I've done lots of things because I needed to do more than one thing, pay the rent on, on a very blunt level, but also because I was interested. So when I was in LA, you know, I, I, I taught a theological school. I taught an art school. Um, I, I was involved in various iterations of, of communities and, and, and did public events, worked a little bit in fashion, did music. Uh, and so um, I, I just felt that I was one of those people that just had a, a hunger for, for like, I, I'm interested in the intersections of things and uh, all the bits that don't fit in our nicely contained environments. And I figured that um, if I kind of lived that porous way, um, I could maybe attend to those things. And so to me, there's like, I, I see these things sort of metaphorically dangling. And if they're interesting, I sort of jump for the rope and hope it holds. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any, um, like, what are some of the, the, the most recent things that you've been, that you've, you've been interested in or that have, that have captured your attention? Um, well, I, I've spent quite a lot of time thinking about, and this is, I mean, this kind of predates moving back to, uh, Britain, but because I, I sort of moved back to, um, I mean, Britain was home. It's where I'm from, but I lived the bulk of my adult life mm -hmm. away. So most of my busy life w was elsewhere. So I moved back to quite a quiet world here. So I, I've had a fair amount of time to focus on uh, just thinking through stuff. So some of the things were just little things that I was nurturing that I've spent more time with. So I've spent a lot of time the last few years thinking about the impact of, uh, technology, particularly on the, on the world of like religion, um, and, and, uh, the sort of theological implications of technology and particularly, you know, digitality and how it plays out, um, in society and what, and how we get reshaped by the kinds of communication that, that we employ and, uh, then sort of thinking through all of the, all the things, that, the positives and the negatives, you know, the bits that fit, the bits that don't fit and just sort of looking at that. So, and I've been thinking about that. I've also been thinking a lot about, um, fashion for, for, for some weird, well, I've always been into, into fashion, but, um, I've sort of yes, been, I've been working on a bit of a theology of fashion, if you, if you will, sort of thinking through the implications of clothing and self-understanding and things like that. And, uh, and I, and I've sort of spent a lot, the, one of the wonderful things about London is that there's a wealth of, uh, cultural events and things and there's an awful lot of art and and uh so i i've kind of taken an even deeper dive into the world of the arts as well so those are but those those three probably Te technology particularly 
has been really um, interesting to me. And I think, you know, it's interesting to a lot of people at the moment, so I'm not alone in that. But I do think that oh, absolutely. I think a lot of our conversations about it are, are a bit surface. So I've, I've tried to sort of dig down a bit more into those things. What do you think are some of the, some of the parts of that conversation that we're missing? Well, I, 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 I think I, the, the thing that I think we, we miss is that particularly when it comes to communication technology, because I think, you know, technology is more than just uh, the, your, your smartphone. I mean, we are, we are techno beings, really. You know, the, the fire, you know, fire is a technology. It, it's a means mm -hmm. by which you extend or, or, or address the, the state of the human in, 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 in the world. But I think with communication technologies, um, the kind of sharing of knowledge and, and information that, that happens between people and gets mediated through particular communication technologies, I think that has a transformative effect on how we see ourselves and how we see other people and how we see the world. And I think all too often we, we look at um, what, what we're doing with technology not what we're becoming with technology. And I think that, that often gets missed, you know, with, with conversations about, not everywhere, but in, in, in but I do find sometimes in, in, um, religious worlds that, that gets lost a little bit because there's always the assumption that, well, we're just, we're just human beings. We've always been the same, you know, we have the same problems, blah, blah, blah. And yet, yeah, we do. But we're also like aliens to a couple of generations ago in terms of yes. how we perceive ourselves, how we engage in the world. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, the, the Canadian cultural theorist Marshall McLuhan. And, and McLuhan said, you know, we, we shape our tools and thereafter our tools shape us. I love that. That is one of my favorite quotes that I that I, I hold up all the time because you're absolutely right. When I first saw that, Barry, yeah. exactly, I was like, oh my God, that is the ultimate truth right there. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it, well, and there's, I mean, there's biological truth about that. Like our That's brains right. get yeah. re, yep. rewritten and rewired based on the, the inputs. Yeah. Um, so, so, and you know, particularly, uh, uh, it, so it seems to me that we, we tend to ping pong between like dystopian dystopian views of what technology can do um, versus, you know, utopian things. So whenever a technology comes out, uh, the producers will, will, will sell you the utopian dream. You know, think how great it is that you don't have to be tied to a, a telephone line. You know, you can, t you can go anywhere and make a phone call and everybody goes, that's fantastic. Until suddenly um, you're standing in, in line in a, in a coffee shop hearing, you know, 12 conversations, one-sided conversations or arguments, or you, mm -hmm. see, you know, you're trying to walk down the street and there are people sort of weaving from side to side, um, because they're looking at their phones or stopping dead in the middle of, you know, so suddenly even the way we move through cities is it, it, completely shifted, but 
shifted by that. So there, there's always, you know, there are the upsides and the downsides. And, and, and I think technology is a sort of um, over, what was that? It's sort of overrated and underestimated a, a, a lot of the time. Like we, we present it in a kind of, or it's presented to us in kind of salvific ways, you know, in, in, in our sort of consumerist culture where objects uh, promise us our, you know, wholeness or, or whatever. We, we get, we get promised, um, we get promised a, a, a kind of a fulfillment through these technologies, but we underestimate uh, the, the impacts, you know, there, there are accidents, both happy and unhappy. It's like, uh, you know, that, um, the philosopher Paul Virilio, he said the inventor of the ship was also the inventor of the shipwreck. And I think, you know, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I have not heard that. And that is I mean, awesome. Yeah. It's, you know, you, you think about it, there, there's always, there's always the, the, the counter. And I'm interested in both the, the happy and the unhappy accidents, because the happy accident it, in some ways is, and this goes sort of back really to my sort of inklings about underestimation. We, we never, I, I, I think we seldom realize the possibilities of, of the technologies that, that, that we employ, you know, it's like when, when, when electricity was, was first brought to, to New York city, it had one purpose. It was lights. So homes were wired for, for light, but there weren't plugs because there weren't appliances because it was assumed that electricity had this singular purpose, you know, for lighting. Fair enough. But all of a sudden, you know, you get. Um, all of these other discoveries that, that, that come along with it, some that make the world better. So I think if I'm not mistaken, the first home appliance was an oscillating fan, which is, you know, pretty good in, in, in places, but, but then there weren't any plugs. So you had to plug it in the ceiling, you know, you had to plug it in the light thing. So they had to make adapters, you know, so over time, so you get all of those things, but then you also get all the other um, accidents or, or the downside, which is a world that's light all the time serves a certain people that want other people to work all the time and schedules mm. Good. Mm. and, uh, economics come into play and there are possibilities, uh, for profit making and creating and producing, but it, again, it changes the world. And it changes the world positively and um, negatively. And, and I think with digital technology, um, I, I, I think one of, well, the happy accident, one of the happy accidents, I think, of digital technology is that it opened up space for, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say uh, God, although you could say God, but for um, a sense of otherness and a sense of uh, ultimacy um, that people thought had been eradicated by 
the the modern world, and I, and I, and I think the 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 space that electronic and digital technology has opened up has opened up. I think Derrida said that um, our reliance upon technologies about which we know, or I think he said ignorant about which we're ignorant, and you know, I mean. Whoever could program a VCR, nobody I know, you you always bought a six-hour tape and just plugged it in for that half-hour show because you figured you, you'd capture it somewhere because who could decipher that, you know, how it all worked. But, um, he, he said that the, the, the reliance that we, the dependence that we had combined with our ignorance of how these technologies works opened up a space for what he said was the the rise and the return of the magical, the mystical, and the animistic. Mm. And, and so I think part of part of the the kind of resurgence of interest, if you like, in religion and spirituality is connected to to um, the transformational aspect of these particular communication technologies, which on one level is kind of an interesting thing. On another level, it's great, but if you're in the God business, don't be thinking necessarily that that means everybody's going to come knocking at your door for your set of uh, ideas about it, because that return is never a return to the same thing that was left before. So the return to God is never a return to the same God, I think, or gods. Wow. So I've, been, wow. I've been thinking about this. You know. have been thinking about this and that's, that's a beautiful, thank you for sharing that, Barry. I, uh, you know, it, as you were talking and, you know, and, uh, for whatever reason, the, um, uh, the, the magazine cover time, uh, that asked the question is God dead. Yeah. You know, the one that was in the 1960s and I'm thinking, mm -hmm. oh my God, you're right. It, it, because there was, it was, a, it was a, it was an epiphany in the culture at that time, but they didn't have the technology. So all of a sudden the, the earth shook for them. And ask that kind of question, but now that technology has taken us to where they're, where we're doing what we're doing right now, having this conversation, you know, you're several thousand miles away from us and we could do this. We would never have envisioned this 20 years ago, having this kind of conversation. I mean, we could have done it on telephone, I suppose, but here we are, we're all connected up and, and sharing, you know, yeah. your, your, what the things you think about. And, and that opens a door outside of the outside of those boxes that people lived in at one time where they only got their religion inside of a, a room where somebody stood in a pulpit and told them, this is what I believe. And yeah. you kind of picked on it or you just like, yeah, I don't know. And just kind of walked away from it. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the, one of the interesting outcomes or effects of the COVID lockdowns was the fact that when when buildings, you know, when everything closed down uh, and, and churches were impacted by that, all of a sudden, a lot of communities that had undervalued the role of digitality and been uh, maybe probably a little dismissive, you know, we've got our website, you know, we we upload our sermons, but all of a sudden, everybody's scrambling, trying to work out, oh, how, what's this Zoom thing? How does that work? You know, and 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 but the first wave was i mean i i sort of looked around and you had people especially like liturgical churches trying to sort of set up liturgical services uh in living rooms and online and stuff like that and um 
for the most part, that stuff didn't really uh, resonate. You had to sort of break down and personalize the wall and, and speak not out of um, the sort of theoretical idea, but in, in, in a new place of uh, vulnerability. But I, but I think it demonstrated to a lot of people that there was more value to online community or communion than many people had given it credit. You know, always this argument, oh, it's always better in person. You know, we need the intimacy of, you know, human touch and stuff. And I don't disagree with that, but I also think that there are potentials of, of connectivity that happen in environments like this that actually don't happen in physical places because there is the, the distance thing in some ways can be a bit helpful. It's a, it can be liberating. You feel a little freer to, uh, say what you say and, and be who you are probably cause you're sitting there in your pajama bottoms. What? Well, yeah, right. bring up deep thoughts, you know, or not. Well, it works. Yeah. Well, apparently, to some people's shame, more than one person learned early on during the pandemic, the lockdown right. was like, make sure you have pants on. <laughs> yeah, at least like really adjust your the camera. Of the cameras. <laughs> but it's yeah, yeah, cinematography became really important. Yes, it did. Well, yeah. So I don't know. So all that you know. The all the, these things, I, th I I think, I mean, I I I don't think everything is um, I don't think everything is spiritual or anything like that. But I but I do think that there there's a theological dimension to uh, life in terms of the the ability to draw it into a conversation about what it means to be human and how we understand ourselves in relationship to um, the rest of uh, humankind. And then however we start to think about our, our place in, in the cosmos and, uh, and, and things like that. So, um, but even those conversations are, are, are different, I think, because we're, I, I think we're also because of digitality in the midst of a conversation revolution. I mean, I don't know that Instagram's attempt to beat Twitter has been that successful. I mean, I, I, I mean, I have a Threads account, but I'm not sure I've ever posted to it. But I do think the name Threads is actually a really great uh, capturing of, of the essence of conversation in the 21st century, which is a, a continuous, probably endless conversation um, with threads that go on forever because everything gets archived. So that chat that you had and ended is stored in, in the cloud and, and essentially can be picked up at, at, at any, any given moment in time. So, and it's forever trackable. So there, there's a kind of eternal dimension to our relationship to digitality, whether we want everything sort of forever and never same time, you know, it's everything and nothing all, all at once. God, I've been spending too much time alone, haven't I? <laughs> so mystical. Um, but it's true. You know, I was, everything that I write or send online, I write keeping in mind that 
my child might be able to look this up in an archive someday. That is true. Uh, and it may live, live on well beyond, you know, I use that as a guide for how mm -hmm. I, I talk to people. Our permanence and legacies are, are, are real. Like they, they, the, the internet lives forever, if anything else, because of the way, way, way back machine, mm -hmm. you know, where you can dial back, uh, whatever, but that's a very good point. Great observations for both of you. Yeah. So anyway, so that was a lot of waffle for me there. Sorry about that. No, that's great. That's I, why you're here. I, you know, I love the idea of, you know, we, we do have some sense of how technology changes the person. Yeah. You know, I can remember not wanting a cell phone because I was like, I don't want anybody to know where I am, you know, and then right. I finally got a cell phone and now, you know, I'm totally addicted to it and I need the dopamine rush and I'm, Letting people, I'm checking in. I'm like, hey, guess what, world? I'm at this movie, you know, and it, it's kind yeah. of changed me. But there was something that you said along the way is that um, that our technology can also change our perception of God, yeah. which is an entirely different idea that I that I hadn't really thought about. Mm. Well, because I I, I think when it, whenever um, whenever we experience. Uh, to sort of put it in a contemporary parlance, if if we experience a shift in consciousness, which is I think what happens when when you you however we understand consciousness, whatever that is, I don't know, but I'll use that word. Um, whenever we experience some kind of shift in the way we understand ourselves, it's like a domino, and everything else goes. So mm -hmm. um, once you, um, I mean, to go back to McLuhan uh, again. McLuhan said that the the kind of universal human sort of what well, he called it brotherhood, but but the shared humanity that's a given today, he believed was really only initiated by those early shots of the Earth from the surface of the moon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, that was the first time we were able to see ourselves floating in space as a collective mass of humanity. And the, that initiated a different self-understanding for the human race. We saw ourselves, um, you know, floating on this little blue and green ball in this vast um, universe and began then to see ourselves uh, differently, and you know, you can go back, and uh, and it's not to say that there weren't those ideas of common humanity and stuff, but in a world limited by different sort of geographic possibility, you you can't conceive of uh, of something in the same way. You know, you you know, it's like there's always a context to the information that that we have, you know, and we're limited by that context. On another, on a quick tangent, I was I was saying to somebody the other day, we we were in, in a conversation uh, uh, just about you know human sexuality and gender and identity and uh, all of the both the uproar and the excitement um, uh, of possibility and impossibility uh, in, in the twenty first century with regard to how someone sort of identifies themselves and, and, you know, all of the arguments uh, around that. And I, I sort of said, you know, it was so different when I was a teenager. The horizon mm -hmm. was so much more limited in terms of perspective and uh, 
we sort of got to today through a buildup of conversations and a buildup of interests and a buildup of uh, ideas to the point now where old ideas don't carry the same weight and resonance that they used to, which is troubling to some people and liberating to others. And I think to sort of swing back around with a technology, um, I think it changes the way, I mean, again, you know, the first, the first Russian in, in space sort of said, well, you know, there's no God up here. <laughs> the first wow. other walks on the moon, you know, want, wants to leave a, a, a Bible there, but we see ourselves in the universe and, and, and suddenly the nothingness of space is, uh, well, who knows what it is, but it's something other, you know, it's not Dante's, uh, view of the atmosphere, you know, we've pierced that and now we're, we're into this vast experiment. Yeah. We're, you know, and, um, <laughs> And, and I think that, uh, what, what, what's interesting is where I think digitality has, uh, taken us in, is into a kind of, you could call it a sort of Gnosticism and a sort of largely indefinable sense of the mysterious and sometimes secret knowledge of the universe. But, um, it's a very broad and generalized view that something is perhaps amorphously sacred, however you might understand that, or, or divine, and that we're all connected to it in, in some ways. I mean, you only have to spend a couple of hours screaming, you know, scrolling through Instagram to get like a real handle on, on what people are, are thinking. And, and it's kind of surprising. I mean, you know, tarot cards are still big, <laughs> you know, astrology still mm -hmm. has, people are still trying to work out, um, how to deal with uncertainty and contingency and things like that. But, but it's not being answered by certitude. It's being answered by a sort of embrace of the fragility, vulnerability, and contingency of, of, of existence. And um, certain gods need not apply, I think, to, to, uh, to that, that, kind of, that kind of world because they, you know, the sort of overarching sort of metaphysical uh, interventionist being with agency in the world, and that's, that's a hard one for a lot of people to come to terms with. I'm not very sure. Thank you for sharing that. You are just, okay. Your wisdom have, on that is so incredible. We what? do have a couple of people using AI to try to calculate the date of the rapture, but that's, <laughs> of course. <laughs> hey, chat GPT, <laughs> what, what are we going to get raptured? That's right. <laughs> Look well, at the yeah. angle of this star in relation to, sorry, I, well, you digress. Uh, yeah. Well, but, uh, I mean, people do, don't they? They keep they keep trying, you know. To uh, I mean, that whole tendency to want to know the future, that that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, to me is just you know to go Freudian. It's just pure death drive at work. You know, anything that you can do to to uh, push away 
the the inevitability of non-existence. Um, so if you can have a date for when it, you know Jesus is going to come back and you're going to be lifted off the earth instead of going out in a box, you know that's good. So it's good to know mm-hmm. that. But I also think you know there is this question. Which, just, sorry, that was a bit blunt. Maybe you don't want to go in the box. We're not too blunt for our show, so keep going. <laughs> we're going to fire. I don't know, whatever. But I mean, I do think that um, a there is a sense in in which AI technology has a, a, a godlike impact on. I mean, we ascribe an awful lot of agency to AI mm-hmm. and, uh, so in, quickly. Yes. It's amazing, right? We're just like, okay, here we are. We've got AI. Let's run with it. Right? There was there was a thing uh, in uh, one of the weekend newspapers here about AI, and and they had a little graph that showed um, the the sort of rise in conversations about AI in media, and it was a little graph mm. that went along, you know, in a fairly sort of low line and then all of a sudden about three years ago it just went right up in the air like like a rock like a rocket taking off and um i mean and of course ai has been around for a long time and uh as everybody says um, that's involved in it even the guy that came up with the term thinks it's the wrong term and it's an umbrella term anyway i mean it, it covers a lot of territory there are lots of different kinds of AI, some of them quite benign, you know, like social media technologies is a form of, you know, AI. But um, we we're kind of a lot of people are sort of worried about, you know, the end of the world, apocalyptic potential of um, AI taking over the world, um, or um, killing you. In the case of uh, Hal Nine Thousand in the Space Odyssey two thousand one, well, remember yeah. what happened to him? He got his sentience, and he's like a yeah. He was not going to be taken Dave. out, <laughs> Dave. Yeah, I'm just worried about them taking my writing job. Yeah, mm, well, there's that. Yeah, I, I, I think there are there are there are some writing jobs that Chat GPT would get, do just as well as anybody else. But but I think when it comes, to I, I agree. Look <laughs> where where I I part company with. Um, particularly with many people um, who are bullish on the potential of um, technology to sort of overrun us. And it, to me, it comes down to the fact that the obsession that we have with the limitlessness of technology is precisely, I think, the folly of technology. Because I think that what makes human beings creative beings are our, are our limitations in life, what we can and cannot do. Um, and, I, and I think it's what we're limited by that actually fosters um, our creative humanity. Yeah, I, I, I thought was kind of, I think a collective wow, wow was, you know, yeah. thinking yeah. about the, you know, the creative work that I do is often, mm-hmm. you know, my personal creative work is driven by mostly by frustration. Like here's, here's a situation I wish wasn't happening in the world and I'm trying to imagine a different version of it. And, yeah. it, and I think it fits the pattern that you just 
I yeah. agree. And to bury what you said, because it is a folly, like AI is, I think we're fearful because of things like Hal 9000 and others like, oh my God, they'll take out the world and or uh, set us up uh, for, you know, a um, uh, the end of our world through uh, nuclear disaster because uh, launch codes are compromised. And next thing you know, we're blowing the shit out of everybody and <laughs> game over. So there's that fear. But um, but you're yeah, to you, to Kelly, to what you just said and Barry, what you were just sharing, too. We can't minimize or underestimate the human drive in our, our creativity because I've often thought AI is still code, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, there's talked about, you know, how it, it gets its quote unquote uh, self-awareness or whatever, where it's, you know, it starts to think the questions that inside of its own programming. But, but to your point, how do you program frustration into the machine? You know, I'm not, mm. yeah, that would be, that'd be, yeah. That'd be interesting to give it artificial limitations. Yeah. It's like, oh, I, uh, I'm frustrated. No, yeah, I can't solve this. And so, and then boom, it comes out with an epiphany. So, right. Cause right now it's just repeating whatever it's I learned. Mean, that's all it does. Yeah, it's under different or, format. On or one it's making level, it up if it doesn't. Yeah. On one yeah. level, it already has limitation written into it because it's actually coded by other human beings. So there's that the limitation uh, of AI is that people are are writing the code. Now I, you know, I, 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 I'm now going to move into the realm of ignorance because I don't, I, you know, I, I don't know, uh, enough to be, um, completely thoughtful on it, but, 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 but what I will say is there is an assumption driving it that what makes you human is your ability to think. And while I think or feel that that's true, we think inside bodies. And I think we underestimate the role of embodiment in what it means to be human. And again, that's something that a lot of religion uh, a lot of Christianity, I think, stumbles over because it's so obsessed with the inner life at the expense of the whole life. And um, there, there's a, a sense for me in which I, I, I realize that, you know, uh, Descartes, I think, therefore I am, has had this profound you know, psychic shift in how we understand ourselves. But I, I, and yes, I, I, I am, I exist because I think I'm a thinking being, but I'm not just, this is where I sort of part company with, with people talking about the singularity and, you know, I want to just upload my consciousness when I, when I die, Mm. trying to stay alive long enough. Uh, you know, so that I can upload my consciousness because I don't need my flesh. Um, again, it, it, it's another, mm. it, the, uh, to me, it, it's the death drive at work. Again, just pushing away the reality of what it means to be human, which is we have a finite time that none yes. of us are, are aware of either the beginning or, or the end of, of what, what will, um, what we'll have. And, um, within that, we, we think we have 
consciousness. I don't know whether consciousness lasts after we die. I, I don't know about the soul. I think the soul is just a way of talking about what we can't really describe about what it means to be human. I, I, I don't know that uh, I can locate it anywhere. Um, but so I, I, I think we sort of have to really look at all of this stuff and, um, sort of ask the, the, the questions that then fall out from, from, uh, these ideas that, that are around in, in the culture that so many people are, um, worried about thinking about, excited about, scared of, you know, with regard to something like technology. I mean, I, I, I think if, if communities want to have meaningful conversations with people, they, they could do worse than starting with conversations about, um, the fears and anxieties of techno living. Wow. Interesting. It's, it's, I feel like I'm it's just, I know. Just... <laughs> no, Barry, I, I, I just, I just, you know, early on when I uh, got to know you, um, and through Hatchery now, uh, H and co, but just your, your sharing how you can share and break down your philosophy, your thoughts on theology and give it in a very easy to understand digestible way for a simpleton like me, I guess, to like kind of process. And that's why it's just, it's stunning. You know, not everybody has that, that gift that you do, um, because you bring, um, no, 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 you do. And, um, again, it, to that point, because you bring you, what you just finished uh, that, that thought was that, it is basic human emotions. It will tie back to that consistently that mm -hmm. is driving these thoughts. And, and you're right, because fear and the death drive are fundamental to our experience yeah. is our embodiment. We don't, we don't place enough value on the embodiment. I mean, we do in certain ways, you know, like the physicality of it, you know, whether it's, you know, the, the, the touch or the sexual aspects of it, you know, of what it is to be a homo sapiens. But, you know, we then, as you said, when it comes to anything that is outside of that, we go inner work. We forget that our experience, my experience right now is through this body that I have. If I was in a different body, I'm going to have a different experience. Yeah. Well, yeah, you'll have a different right. set of um, limitations and uh, opportunities as, as well. Because, you know, we don't, we, we share humanity, but we, sh we don't share the same temperaments or character or, or gifts or proclivities or interests and all of those I, I, I think are, um, I, I always think that there's a kind of, um, whenever something is presented as something for everyone, it always feels like that means it lacks the edge that it needs to, <laughs> to really be something for everyone. Because it means it's, it's been, it's directed at the middle. Like, well, everybody wants this. Well, you're assuming then that everybody wants the same things and they don't. And half the time we don't know what we want anyway. That's the, I think that's the, if there's anything, if there's anything that I know in life now is most of the time, I really don't know what I want, even when I've got what I think I want. 
That's right. Yeah. But the, you've constantly got advertisers there to help you answer that question. It's step half Here, we will tell you what you need and what. Yeah, and they tell you that we you have problems, and you actually believe them, and you go, "Yeah, I do want that." And then the minute you get it, you realize that that object does not contain the answer to what what you want because one of the so one one of the um areas that um i i've also been doing work is i i think it, it, in my sort of theological moves maybe that actually does go back to that thing in the uh, on the back of the book about theist atheist or atheist then non-theist that that sort of movement away from from theism that that uh i i've kind of journeyed through on and the, and the point where where i'm sort of at now is that I, I i feel really strongly that to be human is to have a, a sense of lack and that, that that sense of lack is actually what makes us human. And it's a lack that isn't, can't be filled. You know, it's not a God-shaped hole. It's just a hole. There's an existential yeah. lack at the heart of being human. But we constantly try to fill that up rather than face it for the creative void that it is. And to realize that what that lack represents is all the things that, that we, we try the hardest not to discuss in life. Things like uncertainty and contingency and complexity and fragility. And yet that, I think, is where the essence of what it means to be human really, really lives. And so I, I, I've really been sort of thinking a lot about, well, how do you how do you shape a from my perspective in a meaningless universe how do you make a meaningful life that's that's what i've really been exploring for the last 20 years and that's what i've been honing in on and 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 thinking about technology recently has really sort of helped me kind of um hone those questions a little bit because you can see in uh, early I see in, in the way we respond to and with technology, how, how we react and how I react. And in those reactions, I'm sort of then given the opportunity, if I want to sort of dive into that and un peel off the layers and get down to the, the heart of what's concerning concerning me you know what i'm anxious about or what i'm uh, um uh, afraid of or what i'm worried about and and you know both personally but also sort of socially and societally and you know this and this constant swinging that we have between you know the apocalyptic end of the world scenarios the dystopian thing that's very much uh, a part particularly of american culture i mean uh, uh, apocalyptic ideas uh, live large in america not exclusively there but they they do live large there and and then that's countered by the utopian answer and 
you know, a utopia means no place. <laughs> and, <laughs> and apocalypse, uh, apocalypse means re revealing. So between, you know, what can't be revealed and nothing is the life that we get to live. And, uh, that's the bit that interests me, the bit between dystopia and utopia, um, whatever that is, whatever that space is, whatever peer that is, that's, that's what I find myself. Wow. <laughs> Barry, I am so grateful that you are spending time with this. Unfortunately, we have come to, uh, the end of this and, uh, I'm going to say straight up, I really, really hope we can have you back again because you talking about the threads uh, and not those that uh, has recently been created by our friends at Meta, but uh, the threads that you just teased out there, just a couple, I'm sure we could keep going and going and going. So um, thank you for sharing, you know, your insight, your wisdom with us, Thanks. with our listeners. Yeah, I'm, I, I hope it gives everybody a lot, a lot to think about. It's oh almost God. like using the technology itself as a tarot to sort of organize our thoughts to think yeah. about these these mysteries so yeah. um i really appreciate it that i've kind of gone deeper and deeper down this hole yeah. you're going to give me a lot to think about today. indeed so barry taylor uh where can our where can our uh listeners find uh what you're up to is there well where do you live out there on the on the internets barry um well i do spend an awful lot of time on instagram there <laughs> <laughs> you are um uh uh, UK bloke is my, uh, Instagram, uh, name. And, uh, I, I have a Patreon if anybody's interested. So, um, I, I put stuff on Patreon. Um, I, I do a talk on there every week actually. And, uh, I write stuff and, uh, other little things. Oh, I also have this other Instagram account called, uh, situationist Jesus, which is, uh, where I, <laughs> Where I put, Wait, that's you. That's oh, sorry. Yeah, that's me. I never realized that. I I love situation as Jesus. I never realized that you were oh, you were the brains behind that. Oh yeah, I, I find it hilarious. I uh, never and thoughtful. Yeah, I never actually. That's the, that's the first time I've actually fessed up. Um, yes, yeah, so I was that, gonna say, did you just out yourself on this? <laughs> I just came out as situation as Jesus. Wow. Who wow. got a scoot? Folks, you heard it first here <laughs> on Radical Love Live. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's a wow. okay. situation as Jesus Substack coming soon, but we'll see. Awesome. 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 So for our listeners, you don't have to uh play this back multiple times. We will save you that. Uh we will put it in our show notes about you. <laughs> you can get a hold of Perry, find out what he's doing. So anyway, thank you so much for listening to my waffle. Oh, well, oh, thanks for being God. here. I, I always love following your, following your threads. Following um, your threads. All right. Barry, um, see please you, come back and see us and, uh, and share more, please. All right, please. Anytime. All right. Have a lovely evening. Yeah. Bye, guys. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of Radical Love Live, co-hosted by Mark Delcom and Kelly Wilson. All rights reserved. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and other popular podcast platforms. Go to RadicalLoveLive.com to learn more about us, watch recordings of our live events, and listen to our podcast. We also invite you to check out what Kelly and Mark are doing by going to our websites. Find Kelly at KellyWilson.com 
and mark at markdillcom.com. This is Radical Love Live, where we explore faith outside the boxes.